As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey folks, before we get to today's episode of the podcast, I wanted to say first, thank you for continuing to listen to the Total Soccer Show throughout the World Cup, even with the USMNT eliminated. We greatly appreciate people sticking with us. But we also understand if you want to check out other podcasts too, listen to this one first and then check out other ones. And one I'm going to point you to directly is The Football Ramble. It is a wonderful way to uh, get your soccer coverage, but some lighthearted fare as well, uh, or combined, I guess, together would be a better way to put that, uh, because you're getting daily coverage of this World Cup all the way through the end of the tournament, covering uh, the biggest teams, obviously focusing a lot on England. They're an English podcast. I'm guessing you're going to get some love for England and maybe some frustration with England, depending on how things play out. They started in 2007 at a kitchen table. They have grown from there. They now have their own independent empire, and they are one of football's most important independent voices. So join them every morning for a slightly more lighthearted look at the nonsense that is this World Cup. Search Football Ramble in your podcast app to subscribe and listen now. Soccer Show, and our review of the second day of the 2022 World Cup Knockout Games. Now, it might cause my fellow co-hosts to groan, but we're one step closer to football coming home. England were at times shaky, but brought the fire with a solid performance, even from Harry Maguire. For England fans, this one was fun, and you can thank me for listening to Three Lions this morning on my run. And the French (laughs) were prohibited from causing Poland any pain until the moment Jules Kunde removed his chain. Robert Lewandowski wasn't involved a lot, but thankfully was given a mulligan for his terrible effort from the spot. So the French are through and a big test lies ahead. Can they put the mighty three lions to bed? Um, Yes, yes, they, they definitely can. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a man who's backing England's campaign. Now his native USA are out. Is that right, Taylor Rocco? I think I need that in writing. Honestly, you are uh, like I, I am like I guess English is where I trace my lineage. Not surprisingly, with a name like Taylor Rockwell uh, and with uh, the Daryl Grove connection, with the Ryan Bailey connection, it only feels right to support England until they're inevitably eliminated by France in the next round. Which I'm not really He's sure coming. is that much of a foregone conclusion. He's coming home. He's coming. <laughs> Taylor's coming home. Can we turn that down? Can we can we turn that down a little bit? No. <laughs> Uh, that voice you hear, listener, is a man who's agreed to name his first child Jude, regardless of gender. Joe Lowry, hello. I, I'm honestly kind of down for that, given how much I love watching Jude Bellingham. I can kind of take or leave England in this tournament and in general, but Jude Bellingham has been one of my favorite players to watch throughout this entire tournament. He was excellent again today, Ryan, really, as were England for most of that match. I like the pro Jude Bellingham talk, but read the room on the England talk, Joe, please. Will you? Sorry, I, today, I okay? love England. Yay. In- okay, I can't, I can't do this. I can't do can, it. Right. Can we talk about how Ryan completely sandbagged this? By, like, before we started recording, we were like, oh, I don't know. I mean, it wasn't that good, and France is so good. I'm not that up for it. And then <laughs> recording starts, and there come the energy. There comes the love of England. Ryan Bailey is here in he's the a form troop- that I expected. He's a true professional, Taylor. Come on now. <laughs> Come is. on. You didn't expect anything less. <laughs> 
I think I the, have, I res- the reservations I expressed before we recorded, Taylor, are valid in that I thought that this game, this England 3 Senegal nil, by the way, was um, easier than I expected it to be. And also, I've got one eye on next Saturday uh, mm-hmm. at 2pm uh, Eastern when England will surely face a very, very stern test from France. But we can get onto that a little later. Um, before we get to England 3 uh Senegal nil, England three, Senegal nil. I say it one more time. Um, <laughs> let's talk about our Patreon. It's wonderful. Patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show. I'm sure we'll talk about England on there very shortly. We're going to have extra shows on there. We've got video content on there. So much stuff. And it's a wonderful way, listener, uh, to support us during this World Cup should you choose to do so. So uh, check that out if you can. Yeah, and I, I commented on this one. Uh, Graham posted a video last night of him doing a sad shoey, which was him drinking Iron Brew <laughs> out of a shoe. First of all, I don't believe that Graham has ever said when he's drinking Iron Brew. But second of all, I, I'm starting to come around to the idea that Graham just ha- now has a taste for drinks out of a shoe. Like, no one asked him to do that. He just volunteered. I feel like he has been the one pushing this almost every single time. So on some level, I think Graham is just at home drinking out of a shoe right now. Graham also was one of the ones who uh, led the charge accusing me of abandoning you all yesterday. I believe my stock was down for my lack of performance yesterday. And yet here we yeah. are recording a pod about how good England were and Graham Ruffin <laughs> has left us. And I cannot feel uh, that that is a coincidence. Stock down. Stock down for Graham Taylor. Just there like it was for you, yeah, stock down. You miss go. a show around here, your stock is plummeting in TSS headquarters. <laughs> there we go. All right. Well, why don't we talk about England 3, Senegal Nils. Taylor's stock's up, by the way. It continues to uh, soar as we continue through this episode. Uh, goals from Henderson, Kane and Sucker, all of whom stock is collectively up as well. Uh, Harry Kane is one goal away from equaling Wayne Rooney's all-time goal-scoring record for England as well. So maybe he's got that target for this tournament. Joe, um, a, a crucial question to open here for you. Is Jude Bellingham the best player in the history of soccer? No, but man, you could convince me that he just might be if you played this game over and over and over again and also never played Argentina-Australia over and over again that we saw yesterday. If Lionel Messi doesn't exist, if uh, Kylian Mbappe doesn't exist, there's a few other players that maybe are ahead of Jude Bellingham, but man... He was so dangerous today. And, and credit to Bellingham. He plays a key role for England getting them on the board in this match. You know, he's everywhere in that midfield. Credit to him because Senegal set up in this match, in, in their 3-0 loss to England earlier, they set up to deny the midfield. Like, like Taylor, the, mm. the Senegal mid-block in this match mm. reminded me a lot of what the U.S. did. And, and not that the U.S. invented a 4-4-2 mid-block to pull out against England. Teams do that all the time. But it was very similar, and the goal from Cisse in this match for Senegal was very similar to, I think, what Baralther was trying to do back in the group stage. Set up in a 4-4-2, have the front two sort of shift to deny Declan Rice, have the midfield two back in that line of four, shift and deny the two number eights, or or whatever it looks like as those players move around. And Bellingham sort of recognized that. He starts mm-hmm. to move into different pockets. He starts to break the back line. He's crashing the box. He's just such a dynamic, almost complete, number eight in midfield, that it was hard for Senegal, even with, I think, a pretty sound initial game plan, to rotate and to keep track of him at all times. So, Ryan, yeah, Bellingham, I thought, was brilliant today. Yeah, it was interesting looking at the heat map for Senegal, by the way, Taylor. I don't know if you saw it, but it was lots and lots of heat everywhere except the England box. So England did something right in keeping Senegal out of that mm-hmm. final third, for sure. It did seem like it was a, it was a testy opening, I'm going to say, 20, 25 minutes for England mm-hmm. because Sen- Senegal kept winning the ball off of England's, England's back line. And they kept, they, when they did go ahead, it was from careless giveaways. Yeah, I mean, again, as Joe said, shades of the USA-England game in this one, where I think England maybe thought they would be a bit more ball-dominant early, thought maybe they would have more possession in Senegal's half, and didn't expect Senegal to be as high up the pitch as they were. Uh, as Joe said, setting up in that four-four-two, I thought it was really interesting that it was usually uh, Jai who would be the furthest forward in attack, and then uh, Dia was almost always the one who immediately, as soon as Senegal lost the ball, yeah. would move into a defensive shape, usually try to screen Declan Rice until Jai could come back, and then they would sort of move together, uh, and in that way did deny England space through the middle. Uh, but as, the, as that half goes on, as Joe said, Bellingham starts to find more space. And then the other thing that I thought was interesting, um, for as good as that shape was, once Senegal thought they had England sort of penned in, if, say, Maguire goes to Shaw, both uh, Gia and uh, Jai would move over and try to like cut that off entirely and force them down the channel. But no one on the far side, on Senegal's left side, would ever then step up. And so there was always this out ball to either John Stones or Kyle Walker. And 
initially England weren't taking that opportunity. It felt like they were trying to force it down. That's where Harry Maguire has two of those passes straight to a Senegalese player. As England slowed down a bit more, put their foot on the ball, and looked for that switch, it just started to open Senegal up. They couldn't really press to that side anymore. They couldn't really suffocate England, and they started to open up, and that's where those gaps started to occur. And then Jude Bellingham just just does Jude Bellingham things. Phil Foden does Phil Foden things and deserves a ton of credit for his performance in this one. Uh, And it felt like Senegal had a really good defensive plan early and then tired, basically, and couldn't keep up that level of energy, exemplified by a triple change at halftime. I think that shows that th- some things needed to change. Admittedly, when they were 2-0 down, that was kind of obvious at that point. But I think it's a credit to England that they didn't. Uh, maybe they bended a little bit. They obviously never broke, but then they found their way into it. They really asserted control as the game went on, and they took their chances pretty effectively. And this, Taylor, has been a recurring theme in the knockout stages so far. You talk about Senegal tiring in this match. They are seven minutes from the 45-minute mark in the first half from getting out with a clean sheet in that first 45. And they're, they're also seven minutes plus stoppage time, to be fair. But they're, they're seven-ish minutes away from having a pretty solid first half. England had had one or two looks, but Senegal, Landon Donovan, and Ian Dark talked about this repeatedly on the broadcast They'd kind of had the better of the chances in the opening 30 minutes because of those turnovers from England, some from Harry Maguire that you just mentioned there, Taylor. But they can't get out of the first half with that clean sheet, and that's huge, right? For England, if you're playing a team like England, and you can apply the same logic to someone like France, very similar patterns, I think, in this way today. If they get the opening goal, and England's opening goal was beautiful in this match, it comes from possession, it's a great sequence from them down the left, they get that opening goal, England, Senegal then are are sort of trapped, right? There's a little bit of time left in the first half. How much do you go forward? How much do you press? And Senegal then concede a second goal before halftime ends, or before the end of the first half, excuse me. And then at that point, they make the changes. Again, you reference those, Taylor. They come into the second half, and England get their third goal on another counterattacking sequence, right? It, It is so difficult to find that line of pushing if you're the underdog in these kinds of games, pushing, trying to get something of your own, but then not overextending. And I don't think we've seen the the lower quality teams ever truly find that balance just right in this tournament. It's been a lot of conceding with seven or fewer minutes even at this tournament left in the first half in the round of 16. And then, man, the battle is just so much harder at that point. And so, yeah, agreed. And so in a certain way, Senegal make their lives difficult in those final minutes and end up going 2-0 down into the half. But I also think, Ryan, I know you weren't as thrilled with that first half as as maybe some were, uh, but I thought this was England showing how they have sort of moved their program on in that I think back to that Euro game against Iceland when it does not go well for you all, uh, very much so. Why'd you bring that up? Why are you bringing that noise in here? Because I want to remind you of how slow that team was when they played. Just so slow on the ball, so slow to move from left to right and right to left, and never caused problems. It was always low percentage shots. It was shots from distance. Uh, It was balls lumped into the box, like hopeful balls at that. And... And it just felt like England weren't able to play a faster speed of uh, speed of play that they needed to be able to get through a team that was playing so defensively. Here, Senegal, obviously not nearly as defensive as Iceland were and very much stretched at times, but it still required England playing quickly and decisively. And that's what that first mm-hmm. goal is. That's what the second goal is. Phil Foden has two touches and uh, I don't think he won't get credit for the assist for the first one, but should because it's that little like reverse. I think we coined the term Billy Baldwin because it's not quite a full Cruyff. It's not quite a full Alec Baldwin. It's more of a William Baldwin performance uh, with yeah. a pass to Harry Kane. But because of that quick decision, that just that little flick, but that little pass, it's a combination of the two. Harry Kane, who's dropping in now, now has time to turn and has space. And and I can't remember if it's his second touch that he plays the ball in, but either way, it's a perfect ball in for Jude Bellingham, who then has a perfect cutback. We again see that sort of drive to the end line cutback, late arriving run, in-step finish from Jordan Henderson, 1-0 to England. And again, a, a similarly swift counterattack for the second. Jude Bellingham does great to win the ball, then does great to ride a challenge, then finds Foden. Again, it's a one-touch pass from Foden to Harry Kane. Harry Kane... In in that moment, I, I have to believe everyone thought he's going to score this. That's just such a Harry Kane shooting yeah. moment. He finishes it exactly where I expected him to. Two no to England, and and I not really an England fan, but sure, I'll cheer for them, especially because of Ryan and Daryl. Uh, I, I was I was really happy that he got that goal because there was just that little conversation about how he hasn't scored yet, and could there be other options, and should it be other options? And I don't think that ever should have been 
even a vague talking point. I think he does so much for this England team. And you could see that in both of these goals. He scores one, he sets another one up. Uh, he creates problems for defenses all over the place and is just such an incredibly important player and now has a goal to, to show for it in the knockout round. Uh, very pleased with his performance in this one, was I. And I'm guessing Ryan and uh, most of England as well. So, Ryan, I want to ask you a question. Taylor, you're talking there about how England now have this other gear that they can get to, right? That mm-hmm. maybe wasn't there in, in past yeah. versions of this team. And I totally agree with you on that. England, it seemed like, have this ability. It's, it's kind of like the Flash, right? They walk around like a normal person, and you think, all right, they're just a normal team. Yep. And then you blink, right? And they're, they're through you. And they don't pull it out very often, right? They're, they're mostly normal. But then in those moments, they do look something more than that. Ryan, how did you feel in the opening 30 minutes of this game? Because I did feel like we were seeing just the normal Flash walking around the field kind of playing slowly and and having a lot of defensive possession. Were you concerned at that point or did you think, okay, they have enough quality to pull this thing out? You were concerned. I was honestly anxious because it looked like it was typical England, if I'm going to use that trite phrase, because it was loads of possession without actually producing too much. Not much production in the final third, certainly. Too many giveaways in the back, as I mentioned. It just just seemed like it was going to be, I've seen this movie before, basically. And I'm delighted that it unfolded the way it did. And I'm glad. And actually, to come back to what Taylor said about the program moving on since 2016, you think of all the different personnel we have since back then. Back in that team, remember, Wayne Rooney was like a midfielder. They just had to squeeze him yeah. into the field. You know, it seems like much longer ago, but that was then. So you have to give massive credit to Gareth Southgate and I suppose Sam Allardyce for that one game as well. But uh, it, the, the way the program has moved on is very impressive. And I'll actually say, I'll call out a legacy player, if you will, Jordan Henderson in this game, who I wouldn't have had first on the team sheet. But he was tremendous, I thought, in this game. He was basically leading the press. He was ahead of Harry Kane in several movies, including, obviously, his goal, where Kane dropped back to, it seemed, to make space for Bellingham to go forward. He obviously gets the goal. He just seemed like he was... Like he he does this, or I'm I'm chopping with my hands. He's communicating to everybody. He's yeah. he's being very physical. He looks like he's a real presence on the field. He wanted the ball at all times. I, I don't think I've ever been more impressed, Taylor, with Jordan Henderson. Mm-hmm. Uh, agreed. Uh, I was surprised to see him in there. I asked you guys about why he would start. My assumption was to control the midfield. It was not to score the opening goal, but that is how <laughs> that played out. I will say one other little thing I noticed. Uh, I don't think Harry Kane is is like a diva at all, uh, but I, I do think to be able to really have have a go at him and scream at him on occasion, you have to have a certain profile. I can't imagine a person with one cap coming in and being like, Harry Kane, let me tell you how to do this. <laughs> Jordan Henderson, multiple times in that first 30 minutes, is actively screaming at Harry Kane and telling him, stay higher. He's telling him, drop deeper. There's a lot of like, no, 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 not yet, not yet, and pushing him away and then turning and receiving a pass at once. And I thought mm. the way Jordan Henderson was very aggressively communicating with Harry Kane, I think is something only a more like veteran states- statesman could do. Again, not that Harry Kane is a particularly like combustive energy or anything like that, just that I think you've got to have that confidence and familiarity and chemistry to be able to have some of that demanding conversation and still have it uh, be a, a solid performance. So I think in that way, Jordan yeah. Henderson also pretty strong in this one. And I'll say yeah, Harry and- Kane, I'm, I'm sorry, to, uh, Joe, to jump in, but I, I'm, I'm often quite critical of Harry Kane and his fitness and his contribution to games, but I thought this was everything you want from him. The way he was dropping to the last space, the way he was clinical when it was needed. And actually, tangentially related to Harry Kane, Taylor, I think in the Iran game, we, note, we noted on the show there was a moment where he drilled in an assist and he took three or four steps before yep. looking. He didn't look up, basically. He knew exactly where his teammate was going to be in the middle. And if you look, um, uh, Jude Bellingham did the same thing for his first assist. He took two to three steps. It's, it, it, it's indicative of this team's cohesiveness, that they know where everyone's going to be, that they have the confidence to put in balls like that. I was very, very impressed with those yep. minor details as well. Yeah, and and Joe, I'd love your thoughts on this. I couldn't help watching this game and the way England were able to just so quickly break and and have those moments of not even really having to communicate, not even having to pick their heads up, just knowing where people were going to be. It made me feel slightly more pleased with the way Greg Berhalter approached that game against England, that there were times when I thought, like, they're there for the taking. Why aren't we committing more numbers for it? There should be better opportunities. And watching how swiftly England took apart a Senegalese team that just got a little too stretched, it's a reminder of how good they can be on the counter. So yeah. maybe, maybe just maybe that was a smarter choice from Greg Berhalter that I was giving it credit for uh, in retrospect. And I, I think uh, England, again, sort of showed why they can be a really deadly team with uh, playing against a team that's trying to be more aggressive, that they can take those teams apart in a way I don't think they could have previously. 
And, and a big part for England here is Harry Kane. And Ryan, you mentioned him. We've, we've talked about him already. But Taylor, you mentioned Henderson or Ryan, maybe it was you. Either way, we've talked about Henderson coming into this match for Mason Mount. And it, it feels weird. It feels defensive, especially in a game where England are going to have to take on more of the attacking responsibility. They're going to have more of the ball. But Harry Kane is the kind of guy that makes that sub possible, I think, in a game like this. Because Mason Mount doesn't have to be the one pulling the strings. It's Harry Kane. Harry Kane is the one who pulls the strings in the midfield and in the attack for this England team. And it just so happened in this match that he gets a goal as well. But Kane is so good. I think he is one of the best number nines in the world. One of the best nines of this generation as well. Because... He can play make, he can drive into the box, he can get in the box himself. He has that chance that he, he can't quite get on frame. It's a really difficult strike, maybe around the 40th minute or so before he gets his goal. But, I mean, he has that. Again, it's it's like England yeah. turning into the flash. A seven-minute stretch where Kane is dropping in. He's waiting, he's biding his time, he's playing a perfectly weighted ball into the box for a teammate. Then it's Bellingham finding Henderson. That's 1-0. I don't think you get Henderson as seamlessly into this team as someone who's not going to take on a lot of playmaking burden to break down a block and to play through a block, I don't think you can get Henderson as seamlessly into this team without having someone like Harry Kane at the nine spot to take on more of that creative playmaking burden. Yeah, I agree. And I think the other thing that makes him so special with this England team is that when he drops in, when he does link up play like that, you don't get the sense that it's out of frustration the way it was, say, with Wayne Rooney, the second Wayne Rooney reference. We all had that on, on our scorecards. Uh, but how he would sometimes start <laughs> dropping deeper and deeper and deeper to try to get on the ball. Uh, Akram Hafif was doing Hafif was doing that for Qatar in this tournament. Sometimes I think if that playmaker, that goal scorer, starts to get frustrated, they move further away from the goal to try to pick up the ball and help create, but now they're further away from the goal. Harry Kane is so good about dropping in, laying that ball off, one or two touch pass, and then driving towards goal and then still being involved in that final product. And I look at it in relation to, say, uh, Robert Lewandowski today uh, for Poland against uh, France. France, slightly, slightly stronger team than Senegal. So maybe that's an apples to oranges comparison. But I remember the commentators saying, like, you got to find a way to get the ball to Robert Lewandowski. You got to get him involved. He's just waiting up there for someone to find him with a pass. And maybe that's how you have to play if you're Poland with Robert Lewandowski. But I I I look at that and then I look at Harry Kane with England and how much he's able to get on the ball, but then still be involved in the final third, in and around goal, in the box. And and I think I I struggle to think of many like number nines who can do all of those different things and do them so effectively. Ah, it's words, but it's also music to my ears, Taylor. (laughs) Music to my ears. Um, Let's take a quick break. When we come back, maybe a little bit more chat about this game, but we also need to talk about France's victory over Poland back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Um... By the way, I want to just mention that I got my VSP correct for this game. I said that Senegal would have at least five more aerial duel wins than England in this game. It finished 18-9 to in the aerial duels for Senegal, so I was happy with that one. Um, Interesting tweet I saw as well, Taylor, from Brochard, I think is a fan of the show. A team wearing head-to-toe green in their kit is a competitive disadvantage. Discuss. I think you'd weighed in on this, Taylor, but it has to be, doesn't it? Like... There's some part of your brain that's not going to register that everyone's wearing all green. It's like the all grey famous Man United shirt, surely. That, that was what I likened it to. I think that was the only thing I could think of that would be worse, is that that particular Man United uh, grey kit that Ferguson made them change at halftime. Uh, I do know that the human eye is like evolved to see more different shades of green than any other color, uh, so maybe that makes it easier. But, but no, I, I think on the whole, it is probably one that maybe your brain just has to work a little bit harder to differentiate and make sure that you're passing to a player and not, I don't know, green space. Uh, <laughs> and then I wonder if, like, if the bibs on the sidelines, if some of the photographers 
photographers are wearing like electric green is that easier to combine as well. Uh, maybe you can make the same argument about like yellow bibs and uh, like Columbia's jersey or something. Maybe that's why yeah. Columbia aren't here. I, I think we're, we're proving it right now. Yellow and green. There you go. They're the two hardest. That's it. It's sideline photographers. That's the issue yeah. for Columbia. Yes. Disregard <laughs> Hill, by the way, who famously <laughs> yeah. don't wear yellow at all. Yeah, that's fine. That's totally fine. Um, Joe, any more to say about Senegal, who are, of course, AFCON champions? Do you think they represented themselves thusly? Uh, Yeah, I think think so. I'm not sure that they're going to be thrilled with how they played today. Certainly not with how the the game swung towards the end of the first half and the second half. But, I mean, getting out of that group, which was a contested group between three teams, really could have gone a number of different ways. I think they deserve credit for that. I, I don't love Cissé's attacking tactics. It feels like they don't have a lot of structure. They rely a lot on Ismail Assar to do a lot of things, which is, to be fair, not the worst game plan because he is electric to watch. Does he nutmeg Kyle Walker on that sequence or Walker then has to bring him down on the on the near sideline? I think he does. Think so. Sar had a lot of really nice involvements in this game, as did Dia as well. Like There's attacking quality in this team. I'm, I'm not all the way there. I think they were exposed a little bit today. They, they were not up to the task. But again, like this is what England does to you. Whether they'll be able to do it to France or not is a question we can discuss later. But like a lot of this performance from England was classic England. Slow, defensive possession. They make a few mistakes in possession here and there, but they wear their opponents down. Taylor, you got to that really well earlier. Then they score a couple of goals, either in possession or then more, more likely as the, as the match wears on, on the break, because they are defending a lead. And, and it's done, right? It's hard to take down this England team. I don't think Senegal were really ever going to do it in this game. Maybe if they get an early chance or two, if they put those in the back of the net, this is a different match. But... Yeah, I mean, Senegal should be okay with how they, they, they conducted themselves in Qatar. All right, fair enough. Let's move on to the earlier round of 16 game of today. France 3, Poland 1. Olivier Giroud has scored the most goals in French national team history now. 52 from 177 caps. Très bien. And Kylian Mbappe got a brace in this one. He's the golden boot leader with four goals. He also has two assists in this one. Now, guys, I mentioned this in my intro. I couldn't get over how dumb it was. Jules Koundé wearing the necklace. Uh, and he, it got to about the 41st minute, I believe, by the time the referee instructed him to take it off. He's al- he was already on a yellow like, on a yellow card for the tournament. So <laughs> if he gets one more yellow card, he gets a ban, and that is a yellow card offence. Uh, Taylor, I-, I can't understand how you could be that dumb to go on the field with that chain, knowing that is your potential punishment. Yeah, they asked Clattenburg about that. Uh, the the Fox crew Clats. did. And he responded that, like, you know, sometimes players will hide that in their sock or in their shoe and then put it on last minute. He wasn't making a secret of it. Like, you could see it flopping around from the very beginning. I feel like Kunde just wear it, like, forgot to take his necklace off, walked out, and nobody checked yeah. that one. And then somebody from FIFA was like, hey, guys, that is definitely not allowed. Can somebody do something about that? And off that chain <laughs> went. But I-, I guess that was the thing that was holding France back, because as soon as that chain comes off, in go the goals. <laughs> France uh, take off. Uh, Giroud sets that goal-scoring record. For the men's side, we should add, uh, many people uh, on Twitter are quick to point out that uh, Eugénie Lesamer has more goals for the French women's team, so Giroud sets the French men's record. Uh, but credit to him for... I'm going to give him credit, since he is now their all-time leading uh, goal scorer on the men's side, for a finish that he definitely meant and didn't deliberately hit into the ground or accidentally hit into also, the ground at that. Also, it's going to be about two weeks before that record belongs to Mbappe. So Giroud can enjoy True. his cup of coffee <laughs> as the men's all-time leading goal scorer, but this is going to be a short-lived record. Wait, Ryan, what was the number for Giroud again? Do you have it down? Uh, 52. Yeah, so Mbappe's at 31. So, yeah, this is not going to take long. This is not going to take long. Especially not if defenses keep just being like, you know what, dude? Shoot as long as you don't beat me. I don't care. Can we talk about that for a moment? How much the defense just in the same way that the U.S. was terrified of Beefy Keefy and just let him win 50-50s and we're sort of like, okay, now we'll play defense against you. I couldn't get over how much the Polish defense, after the first couple, we're just like, look, we're not going to beat him in a foot race. We can't just foul him the whole game. What if we stand 10 yards off and just make him shoot from distance? That can't possibly go wrong. And I likened it uh, to my wife to like a cobra preparing to strike Uh, you could also go with like like super soakers how you had to like pump them up a bunch to get the pressure to then launch them you can just see mbappe like oh you guys are gonna stand off then i'm gonna pump up my legs like a (laughs) hundred times and then fire this thing into the goal uh two great goals from him but i don't think the polish defense covered themselves in glory necessarily on those can can I be charitable for the Poles in this one, Joe? I thought this was probably the best Polish performance yet. Maybe I haven't been paying close enough attention to them, but I thought they were fairly strong in the first half. I thought they had some fairly decent runs of possession. They broke down the French defence maybe a, a time or two. 
Um, maybe even a bit more expressive in the second half as well. Am I, am I being too charitable? About the first 44 minutes, absolutely not. I think Poland were in a good spot. And, and this is, again, this is a theme I talked about earlier with Senegal. It certainly applied to the U.S. yesterday, getting into halftime. I know it sounds like cliche and, oh, we got to come in and regroup. I do think there is some truth to that, though. Poland had done well in this first half. They had not really had too much coming at them from France. France pressed a little bit. It, it was kind of like the one-man press that Graham talks about Edson Cavani doing. That's what Olivier Giroud was doing to Poland. And and so Poland had maybe a bit of trouble with that early on. But then France drop off. Poland have some pressure. They have a couple of chances. France have a couple of chances as well, but it's still nil-nil. And then it's it, it's not a dagger in the 44th minute from Giroud, but it is a heartbreaker in that sequence because Poland are so close to getting into halftime, maybe tweaking a thing or two to continue to help them be on even footing, maybe get into extra time. And at that point, you you never know what's going to happen. Ryan, I'm with you. Poland, I thought, had a decent first 44 minutes. But again, in the same way that England's win today was quintessential England in a lot of ways, I thought this game from France was quintessential France as well. Like, like they did a lot of frustrating things. They didn't look dominant early on. They gave the other team hope. They let them come into the game. And then, bang, Giroud gets one, which feels right. And then, bang, Mbappe gets another one. And then, you know, the third goal comes in and it's just, it's done, right? And Poland do pull one back in this match through Lewandowski at the penalty spot. But, yeah, Poland happy with the first half until Mbappe and Giroud changed the game. And then that was pretty much all she wrote. Taylor, uh, obviously this was the Kylian Mbappe show this mm-hmm. game. But uh, any other credit to any other French players you want to hand out? Maybe even in that left channel with um, Hernandez. Yes. I mean, there. yeah, with that left channel in mind, I think we should give a little bit more praise to Didier Deschamps than maybe we have so far. Not that we've been necessarily critical, but I think we get focused on the individuals and forget that it's a manager who I at least thought after 2018, with a lot of the absences they had, I wasn't sure they would get out of the group. I thought there was a chance they would they would have some shocking results and we wouldn't be talking about France anymore. And instead, every single performance seems better than the last and seems stronger than the last. And and included in that is the way that he has had to improvise. We saw Luca Hernandez subbed off in the first game due to injury. In comes his brother, Teo, who is far more attacking. Uh, and they've utilized that. Uh, John Muller had a really great graphic about their first half sort of possession and where they were picking up the ball. And Luca Hernandez is next to killing Mbappe on, or excuse me, Teo Hernandez Teo, is like yeah. next to killing Mbappe on the left and they can just overwhelm that channel, but then it allows uh, Usman Dembele to stay wide and you can just get different options in different places. Um, in a way that really lets France still have so much attack in so many different areas, even if Mbappe is uh, attempting to be marked out of the game. And so Deschamps, I think, has done a good job of figuring that out. He's gotten really good usage out of Olivier Giroud, obviously. And he's using Antoine Griezmann centrally, and that has, in my mind, made a huge difference. Uh, He's on the ball more often, but it allows him to make driving runs if he wants to, but he's not the tip of the spear. He's not leading the line. He's facilitating play. He's holding it up. He's like playing one and two touch passes when he needs to. And I think this is the best I've seen him look this season. I don't think he's been particularly good at club level. We've only seen him as a sub in a lot of those games due to contract situations. Uh, But here with France, I think that that sort of central role is working really well for him. And again, you then let let Usman Dembele operate on one channel. You let Teo or Kylian Mbappe on the other. But you still have attack and creativity in the middle. You still have physicality with Giroud if you need somebody getting on the end of crosses. And uh, we talked about like the, the Swiss Army knife yesterday. I guess this is like the French Army knife here, and I will avoid any French military jokes. I will just say credit to Didier Deschamps for getting the best out of this team. Yeah, credit indeed. Um, Joe, with, with Griezmann in that central role and Rabiot and Germany holding out the midfield, it does seem like they quite are, do have a solid core, this French team. My question for you... Would this team be improved with Paul Pogba or not? Uh, maybe. I mean, and the fact that I don't know the answer to that question, I think, says a lot about the balance that Deschamps has found. And it also says a lot about Chouamini, because I've been endlessly impressed with him in this tournament so far. He started every single game for France. He's, I believe, 22 and looks to be just a complete central midfielder. He covers ground. He screens the back line. He's He's covering for those players. And he's also good on the ball, good in tight spaces, can progress on the dribble or with his passing. He's a brilliant player. If Pogba and Conte come back into this team, I I don't think you can play the three of them together. Maybe you can, but then Griezmann has to... I mean, the balance Mm -hmm. is hard to find at that point. So, Ryan, I don't really have a great answer to your question. What I do know, and this kind of gets at what Taylor was talking about, is I think Deschamps has found a really good mix of personnel in the front line. Because you have 
Giroud, who is a focal point in international soccer. I think those players tend to be a bit more valuable now than they are at the club level. You have Giroud, who's good in tight spaces, but also is, is someone you can play off of. Kylian Mbappe is going to go vroom vroom down the left and shoot when you don't step to him at all, like like Poland didn't for the second goal. Dembele on the right wing is going to provide width, and he is the he's the right player to play that long diagonal and then drive at a defender one v one. Griezmann is kind of the the workhorse, which feels weird. Griezmann and Giroud are kind of the we're going to try to do it all because we know Kylian Mbappe is not going to defend players. And they do it very, very well. And then you get back into the midfield core, and I think those personalities and their playing style complement a lot of what the front four do. It is, it's a really strong system from France. They're not without their weak points, but we saw in this match so much of what makes them a really scary good team, even without players like N'Golo Kante and Paul Pogba. Oh, boy. I'm not looking forward to next Saturday at uh, 2 Eastern. That's all yeah. I can say. Uh, Taylor... <laughs> If we're drawing up our power rankings of the tournament so far, are we agreeing that France are at the top? Yeah, I think so. I think they've moved up there for me at this point with the attacking uh, power they have, but then you still have a strong defense. Uh, Hugo Lloris, of course, has one moment or two moments in this game that are a little bit dicey, which I guess is is the nature of having uh, Hugo Lloris in goal. But him aside, I thought this was a, a complete performance from France, uh, and uh, we just need to make sure that Jules Koundé isn't allowed to wear his chain so that they continue to to play uh, this well. I am, Joe, back to being annoyed by expected goals. My prediction for this one was that France would have four plus XG. They win 3-0, and I think somehow they're under two on the XG front. So I understand how that works. I understand why it makes sense. Still annoyed by it because, come on, come on. Yeah, I hear you. Also, we're we're not trying to deny Robert Lewandowski his goal. It just was so irrelevant at the end that Taylor, I've forgotten about it once, and then you you did there as well. He gets the oh, penalty yeah. in the 99th minute. It, like I said, <laughs> it does not matter at all in this game. <laughs> and I, he misses I, it first. And yeah, I know Joe, he, he, he misses we, it. We won't try to deny him. He tried to deny himself with that terrible yeah. first attempt. What was he thinking? I mean, to be fair, I forget who it was who was like basically standing next to him when he took it for France, so that's why it's going to be retaken. Uris <laughs> is about a yard off his line. That's why it's going to be retaken. I hate the hop and the stop, and I feel like we're getting increasingly close to one of those being called back because, as I understand, you can't fully stop when taking a penalty. You have to Correct. continue the forward momentum. You can slow down. You can do that hop. But I swear on a couple of these, we've seen players come very close to just fully stopping. Uh, I guess it was nice that Lloris let him score that one. He went the opposite side of the, fir- the way he did when he when he missed his, did Lewandowski. So he gets a goal. I-, I can't imagine that's like that happy of a moment for him. Maybe if it were the first one of the tournament, and even then I think it would be a bummer. So you are right, Joe. I did completely forget that it finished 3-1. to one. I hear uh, but I'm fine with it because I'm not sure how much that really had an impact. It was a weird moment for me, Taylor, because that was potentially Robert Lewandowski's final kick in a World Cup. Mm-hmm. And he chose yeah. to do that terrible hop and terrible finish. But then when he did convert the second one, you said he maybe wasn't too happy. He was smiling and laughing. He was hugging his teammates. It's like, you, you know, yeah. you've let in three goals, right? And it's like... 30 seconds to go, right? I guess I shouldn't have been surprised by the awkwardness of the take, given the awkwardness of the dance celebrations. Like, True. We, we should have known that it wasn't going to be this fluid, uh, well-taken penalty. It was going to be a, kind of like awkward and a little bit all over the place. So maybe I'm not surprised by that one. I am still surprised that he was, I guess, as gleeful there. Uh, maybe, I, I guess, at the same time, I can't really expect him to like pick it up and go sprinting back to midfield. Like, <laughs> we're going to get two more real fast, guys. We got this. Uh, so either way, credit to France in the end for uh, for the win credit to france indeed let's take a quick break when we come back let's maybe talk a little bit about that france england matchup we need to talk about the game we didn't talk about yesterday argentina's win and we've got some very specific predictions coming right up looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. 
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Guys, um, we trailed it there. France taking on England next Saturday. Both having three goal performances in this game. Uh, Taylor, can you give me some reasons why I shouldn't be completely terrified and this might be a more even matchup than I believe it might be? Um, maybe Kylian Mbappe will get the flu between now and when that game starts and then he won't be fully fit because boy oh boy would I be nervous if I were you <laughs> um, is that helping did I help Ryan let me no, help uh, let me help even if- less than I already have uh, because in the opening 30 minutes uh, for England there are definitely some moments when it seems like Senegal are like oh Harry Maguire has the ball pounce let's try to run at him let's see how slow he is and he almost loses two different foot races that yeah. he probably shouldn't have been losing uh, at least so th- th- maybe there's your silver lining at least Kylian Mbappe will be on the other side most likely uh, I, but I, I think that we can see England uh, maybe we could see them be more defensive I talked about this I think yesterday that we might see them in a back three for the first time in this tournament, and I think that will allow them to have more cover that allows Kyle Walker to be one of those three center backs, and he can do some of that cover with Kylian Mbappe, at the very least hassle him and and try to keep pace with him. Um, But we've also seen England able to counterattack the counterattack, and that is a thing that will be on offer against France. I think France will try to maybe sit a little bit deeper, if not deep, but sit off. They're certainly not going to press. That's not what they're about. They're not about that defensive running business. They're about wait for you to give the ball away, and then rapidly (laughs) counterattack. Um, So I think England, as long as they're very careful on the ball, don't give it away in cheap moments, I think that will help them uh, or be more likely to get a result. But I also think France can then also be a little bit too rapid in that counterattack and can present opportunities in that way. We saw England score on the counter against Senegal, as we've talked about. Those opportunities will be there. You just have to take them with the right personnel. Joe, any reasons I should be more cheery? I think... This this will be a very interesting game because I'm not really sure what the flow is going to be. In so many of these knockout round games, even in World Cup games in general, you think, all right, France versus Poland, France are going to control possession. And that's that's kind of what happened here. France sit back a little bit because they're France. You think about Spain taking on Costa Rica. There's never a doubt about what's going to happen in that game. I, I do have questions about how this game is going to play out. Both teams are okay to be defensive. Both teams are okay to be conservative. I think... England are going to have more of the ball, which does worry me, Ryan, to be entirely honest. We saw in this game they can carve through an opposing defensive block in the blink of an eye. So that that's an exciting thing if you're an England fan. What concerns me, though, is that France's weakness is so clearly in moments when they have to break down a block, right? They, they do break through Poland in this match, but that's with Mbappe moving out really nicely. Poland's backline not dealing with that movement well at all. Multiple defenders step when only one needs to, and then Giroud slips in behind and they get the goal. I don't think England make that mistake, to be honest. And I also think England are fully capable of frustrating France if England take a more reserved defensive posture. So there were a couple of sequences inside the first 30 minutes, the first 20 minutes, when Poland are back defending in their half a bit more. And France are are kind of getting frustrated. Jules Koundé, I have down on my notes, takes a, a really unnecessary shot in the 22nd minute from outside the box, and it doesn't trouble anybody. So that's those are the moments where I think England can really take it to France, they can let France almost frustrate themselves and then go and attack on the break. My concern for England, so to keep you even keeled, Ryan, and not not too happy, my concern is that England will control the ball almost too much and France will have lots of space to go at them in behind. You had me all excited and you just had to push me away again, didn't you, Joe? I know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. All right. I appreciate your balance and your candor all the same. Uh, Let's talk about the game uh, from yesterday evening or Saturday evening, indeed. Argentina 2, Australia 1. Taylor, um, Messi good? Messi real, real good, it turns out. I don't know if people knew that already, but if they didn't, he he is. Uh, He has like Neo's abilities in the Matrix to apparently just slow down and then still be able to see everything while everyone else is functioning at like full capacity. He's running in slow-mo. Uh, Red Dead Redemption 2, you can do that same thing where you can like pause time. Uh, and I feel like Messi can do that. How often have we seen him score goals that he has no business scoring through traffic? And yet 
they're never hopeful hits. They're never these like, oh, he's just kind of hitting it as hard as he can and hoping it comes off. They're placed. He seems to know exactly where he's putting them. He megs a player for this goal, uh, puts it through traffic perfectly, like nestles it into the side netting. Uh, it, it's a great goal from him. And we just continue to see those little things that he can do that make him that next level player. It's bringing down a 60 yard ball, like, like dead right on his feet. Um, it's just knowing when to play one and two touch passes and keep the ball moving versus when it is time for him to beat two people and then lay it off and then continue the run. And and I think in that way has that similar profile to killing Mbappe, or maybe I should say Mbappe has the profile of Messi, uh, but that like you can see defenders just start to get nervous and start to back off and start to think, look, you can beat me with a cross. You can beat me with a shot from distance. I do not want to be posterized. I do not want to be megged and have you go around the other side and then tap it in for a goal. And I'm doubly at fault. But Messi has... Such good finishing ability. He knows his angles. Uh, I, he took a lot of like algebra and trig, I'm guessing, and some physics in there to know exactly the angle he needs to put it in. Uh, so if you stand off, he, he will punish you. If you try to go at him with numbers, I think he'll punish you there because there, there's a bit of diffusion of responsibility. And thus far, it has been the tournament I feel like we haven't gotten to see from Lionel Messi uh, at a World Cup so far. Long may it continue because uh, it's very fun to see him scoring goals and being the main man for Argentina and then backing it up with performances that justify yes indeed uh joe in the dying minutes of this game australia had a couple chances to pull back and equalize it was pretty tight at the end there we got to give them credit for running argentina that far and for indeed getting to this game Absolutely. And I know Graham wouldn't want to do this, although I think if Australia had beaten Argentina, that's when Graham would shift to the bandwagon instead of trying to stop (laughs) the bandwagon. I'll let Graham speak for himself on that when he's back later on this week. But yeah, credit to Australia. They play a game that can be effective in knockout soccer, right? You try to limit the number of shots that, that the opposition is taking. You try to give yourself as many chances as possible to attack on the break, and you sort of ride your luck. And Australia did exactly that. They were not a good team in the group stage, but their approach and a bit of fortune get them to this round. And Argentina looked dominant against Poland, has still not maybe clicked into full gear consistently from game to game to game in this tournament. Australia had a chance in this game, if not for, you know, Messi existing on this planet and and maybe a couple other moments in this game. This one could have gone different. Ultimately, I think justice was served in this game pretty clearly. Mm. But Ryan, yeah, credit to Australia. They made a deeper run than any of us thought they were going to and gave the greatest player who has ever walked the soccer earth a bit of a hard time. And they deserve credit for that. And and if you look at it in relation to the other knockout round games we've had so far, look, I love the United States. We talked about them. I am sad they're eliminated. But when they went 2-0 down right before halftime, it felt like "Mm, this one might be done. It's going to be really difficult for them to get back into this game. I felt the exact same way about Poland. I felt the exact same way about Senegal in their games. That just once it starts to turn, it feels like it's going to be really difficult to get it back on track. Argentina go 1-0 up. Still feels like a somewhat tight game. Uh, Matty Ryan gives the ball away, and now it's 2-0. And I think unlike those other games where it was just like, all right, well, that's it. It's done and dusted. Australia, if anything, just seemed to be more motivated and back themselves more to create. They get that one goal, and there was a moment there. They get another sh- uh, shooting opportunity very late. Uh, I do not know the XG on it, but I know that uh, watching with some people who were actively supporting Argentina, they were terrified in those final moments. And I don't think you can say that about any other team that we've talked about that has won in the knockout round so far in the dying moments of their games, whereas Argentina... Definitely felt like they were holding on for dear life at the end. And so I didn't have Australia getting out of the group, certainly. I didn't have them running Argentina late and making Argentina nervous there at the end. So massive credit to them for the way they played as a unit, as a team. And then uh, some of the individuals in there, I won't say his name. I'll leave it for uh, Graham Ruffin to praise later on since he is not here with us. But uh, credit to Australia for the run they made. Well, you mentioned that, Taylor. This game gave us the greatest photo of the World Cup so far at full time. Messi embracing the cum dog. Um, I just looked it up uh, online, and now my search history has Messi cum dog in it. I'm yep. full of regret, but uh, yep. it's a good photo. You should look it up all the same. Uh, one last thing to do on this podcast. That's our very <laughs> specific predictions for Monday's games, which are, of course, Japan taking on Croatia and Brazil taking on the Korea Republic. Taylor Rockwell, do you have mm-hmm. a VSP for I Japan's do. game with Croatia? And I'll try to get to it very quickly before the internet please show up at your door to arrest you for your search history. Uh, For Japan-Croatia, I think this is going to be a very... 
uh, engaging game that won't be a very pretty game. I think it's going to be dull at times. I think it will be back and forth, but back and forth in the like World War One style. We've moved six inches and we've moved six inches back. I think it's going to be uh, slow, but still physical and still interesting in that way. Uh, so with that in mind, I think Croatia will complete over 400 passes, but have a total XG of under 1.5, basically showing that they're going to have a ton of the ball, they're going to move it quickly, or as quickly as they can, but I don't think they're going to be getting many clear-cut opportunities, so I won't be surprised if they have 10 or more shots, but a very low XG, uh, because I think Japan will make their lives very difficult, and then look to play on the break and get something late in that second half, the way they have so far in this tournament. Nice. I like it. Uh, I have a VSP for Brazil's game with Korea. It's very, very specific. Tiago Silva will have exactly one shot. That's Tiago Silva to have exactly one shot. So I'll give you my logic. Uh, in each of the games he's played so far, he's had exactly one shot. South Korea have allowed three shots from centre-backs at this tournament in three games. That's an average of one shot from a centre-back per game. Hence, ergo, therefore, Thiago Silva is having his one shot in this game. It's the riskiest VSP, but it'll be so rewarding when it comes off, Taylor. I love it. I think that's great. I hope I hope he does, and I hope he scores. And I feel like that will be Ryan retiring from specific <laughs> predictions. We talked about in Small Sided, you hit a banger at one point, and I was just saying, like, that's it. you got to sub off. Like, you can't shoot anymore for the rest of the night. That's what you end on. <laughs> if you get this one, Ryan, I feel like you should just walk out. I'm out of here. Costanza style. Leave us, leave us wanting more. All right. Let's hope so. Joe, what do you got? Ryan, don't worry. We'll always remember Rhyming Guy. Even even when you leave us, we'll remember Rhyming Guy. We won't remember your name, but we'll know it was Rhyming Guy. My VSP is also hey, for Brazil. Poems and whatnot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ryan, Rhyming Guy. Yeah. My, mine is for Brazil, South Korea as well. I think South Korea will cross the ball at least 19 times against Brazil. So my, my reasoning here is Brazil going to dominate the ball. Korea, I would imagine their chances are going to come on the break. It's also going to be a lot of play through wide areas because that's what South Korea like to do. They had 46 crosses against Ghana, which I had forgotten about and then remembered when I went back through the numbers that we did talk about that on this show. They had 19 crosses against Uruguay and 12 against Portugal. They have been going down, so that that 12 number came in the last group stage game. But I think we're going to see them cross the ball a a little bit more, potentially out of desperation, if they need to claw one back against Brazil. So I think they'll have at least 19 crosses against Brazil tomorrow. That's quite a lot of crosses, Joe. Yeah, it is. South Korea like their crosses. That's what they do, and they're going to do it tomorrow. Or so says my VSP. Well, I'm not cross at you for suggesting those crosses. In fact, I'm very happy. Joe, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, come on. That wasn't bad. Uh, I've done worse. I've done worse. But thank you, Joe, all the same for uh, joining us on this here podcast. Ryan, right back at you again. Congrats to England. Much appreciated, Joe. Taylor Rockwell, pleasure as always conversing with you, sir. Uh, the pleasure was mine, my friend, and congrats to you as well. Yay, it's coming home, or it's going to France. What's the French where it's coming home? Let's look that up. Uh, Dans la maison. Anyway, listener, thank you very much for joining us as well. Check us out on patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show if you're so inclined. But for now, bye! Bye! 